previously on Box Cutters. You tell us in what you've published that the cost of cake goes down, hmm. the cost of confectionery goes up. That's right. And there's icing and maybe ice cream. And then there's candles on top of it. That's right. Now that's the difficult, that's what I'm addressing in, in the question. To, to give you an accurate answer, I need to know exactly what type of cake. Cutters episode 289. I found a shop I think you might like. My name is Josh Canal. To my left, John Richards. Hello, listener. And to my right, Brett. I've got a new toy, Cropley. Good evening, viewers. It's not a toy, it's a tool. You are. What did you do on your summer holidays, Brett? Uh, I didn't really have holidays. Uh, I, I work in an industry that was very much affected by the massive hailstorm of Christmas. Day. Yeah, interesting story. Mm. What about you, John? Traditional Christmas yeah, great. show. That's uh, nice. I watched five TV series from start to finish. Like, uh, not, not an entire like, set of series. Like, I didn't watch all of Lost. Season. I, I watched, I wa- I watched five, five series, uh, individual seasons of, uh, of, of five series. Uh, I stayed inside. I tried to find air conditioning where I could, and I just watched TV. I, love I watched virtually no television. Like we're about, when we're not doing box cutters, for some reason I go, oh, that's a, that's a nice relief. I'll just, I watched the entire series three of Survivors from 1978, uh, which is terrible, and that's it. That's all I watched on television. Right. Nothing else. Right. I, I watched the, uh, the whole first series of, uh, of Twilight Zone, and, uh, and uh, I also watched all of uh, American Horror Story, watched all of season three of, of Misfits. I watched one episode of American Horror Story and then said, you can review that next week with Courtney Hawking. Yeah, which we will. We will. Genuine, watched, yeah, life's too All short. of the episodes of Undeclared. An earlier did you have that on VHS? Out? Is that one of your VHS go back to? No. You moved house. Did you take the VHS with you, Brett? Yes, he yes. did. <laughs> I saw Brett's new house, which is phenomenal. But there is this amazing thing where he's using a 4 by 3 huge TV as a stand for a plasma TV. <laughs> and then there's also like your various video recording, various ages as a wax cylinder. You know, there's that sort of stuff. Yep. All yep. set up, you know, so you can watch anything in its original format on its original screen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You didn't say the crates of VHS tapes under the bed. <laughs> So, did you, I'm not joking. Did about you go that. back? Did you go back and watch anything on those uh, VHS tapes? No, no, I haven't. No, just I haven't at all as yet. Uh, we're, we're, I, I believe it's going to be a, a regular segment, maybe I, over this year. I that think we into the crates. We go. We go together back into the times of history. I cannot wait for into the crates with Cropley. <laughs> Sounds brilliant. I cannot wait. In this episode of Box Cutters, we've got Lee Zachariah. Oh, it's uh, a film special. It is film special. Film special. Because we've got Lee Zachariah in, and he's going to be talking about uh, filmmakers who have gone into TV. But the reason he's coming in, though, also, is because we're reviewing Boss, which is set in motion by Gus... Is it Gus Van Sant? Gus Van Sant, yeah, yeah. Gus Van Sant. And, you know, Murray Van Peebles uh, directs a, a few episodes yeah. as well. And uh, We're going film crazy. Yeah. It's, you can't stop us. Can't stop us doing film stuff. We've got one thing. We've got some pork. Toby Halligan can't be with us this week, but he will be in next week. As always, though, let's kick things off with the Box Cutters News. SBS has a new director of television and online. His name is Tony Ifland, or Ifland. It's I-double-F, 
L-A-N-D, if you want to start writing your letters now. Iceland? I don't think so. That would be I-S-double-F-L-A-N-D. And why am I writing this like this? What, what's he done? Oh, no, he's the director of uh, television for SBS. So, so you'll, need to, you'll need to address your, your letters it's to right. him. Might uh, be, might be a, uh, a partially anglicised Welsh name. He's come from BBC World. Uh, so he... I don't know. I, I really don't know what effect that is going to have on, on SBS. Some, some nice new <laughs> drama content would be good, because I haven't actually made any like, for quite a while now. New, new content? What, yeah. about, what about Remote Area Nurse? When was that? That was about two years ago. How about right. that pizza? Yeah. That was about two years ago. What about uh, no, I think East West 101 Series 2? That was about two years ago. What about Series 3? Ah, oh, Swift and Shift. Yeah, yeah, Swift and Shift. Chorus. That was about a year ago. Yeah. That was definitely <laughs> last year. Uh, what about the Bazura Project? That was ABC 2. Right. As well. <laughs> that was ABC as Sorry, well. Sorry, that was ABC as well. <laughs> uh, so that's it. That's the whole news, news story. Tony Ifland, I-double-F-L-A-N-D. Uh, care of SBS in your capital city. Following up, sad story. This happened. Over that wasn't a sad story. That's just, just no, someone I got said, a job. I'm following up, up with a sad story. With, with a sad story. Oh, oh sorry. Um, this happened over the Christmas break. Uh, Molly Meldrum, who uh, famously here in Australia hosted Countdown for 150 years from the Mesozoic era onwards, um, he injured himself falling off a ladder at his house in Richmond and hitting his head on the swimming pool tiling. In uh, in in TV accident news, that's called doing a Bernard King. Right. That's the problem, too. It's a really horrible thing, and, and it's so hard not to make jokes about the Molly Meldrum stuff when you read Molly is able to engage in some limited level of conversation, and, and you, you want to... No, make no jokes. No, no, it's he's, awful. He's actually... Been having uh, sensical conversations uh, just this morning. Well, this is this is from today's paper saying that basically limited level of conversation. I think it's worse than we all think it is. In all honesty, um, uh, he's able to comprehend and respond. His brother Brian was on the radio saying that he had actually been responding to what they were saying. Yeah, responding to. But I get the feeling this is this is going to be a long recovery for Molly. Yeah, and, definitely. And, definitely. And, get a fractured skull. He, he was, had he was uh, in a, a, a number coma. of vertebrae. Yeah, and broken ribs. So, our love goes out to Molly, and hopefully he gets better soon. Mm. Brett? Uh, apparently, there's some, uh, some fairly draconian uh, new regulations coming from ACMA. And, uh, and, and of course, we all know that uh, if the TV stations don't uh, stand by that, then they'll be de-licensed, I guess. That's, that's what happens given, if you uh, are... Given a swift talking to, I think. Yes, a stern letter from ACMA will come out. If you ignore that, mm. another stern letter. Yeah. Uh, CC Tony Ifland. Now this is uh, this is this is a bit of a political thing, I, which I, I'm, I certainly feel uneasy about. Um, ACMA have declared that uh, media media outlets will no longer be able to show the faces of asylum seekers uh, that arrive in this country. Um, now they've they've uh, hey, hang on for how until they until they get refugee status or uh, just as they're arriving into this country or once they've been naturalized like how long after after they've uh, they've come to the shores or is it before they even come to the shores what it, how are they defining it is my once, question once they've come to the shores then uh, sorry before they, they they have i guess they're not actually but i mean there's there's been ongoing kind of coverage about they've used the same little snippet of footage with with the uh, the boarding of the uh, the leaky boat, um, using it 
without declaring that this is the standard one one slab of 30 second footage that that the department's given us mm-hmm. um uh, what it would affect would be stuff like the freelance uh, f- uh camera operators on christmas island when the the uh boat there went up against the rocks and and you had people in the water um i i believe it's until they they either get deported or get uh, accepted as a refugee Okay. Right, and then and then after that, you can show their faces on. Yes, on yeah, yeah. But um, there's there's been a, a lot of issues about people are organising to have access to the asylum seekers in the in the detention centres, but then they turn up with a reporter with them, and they just get get knocked back at the gate. Right, uh, which uh, I think Media Watch was uh, highlighting a little bit last year. Yes. So now this is so this Ackman's is just a blanket ban on, on showing their faces. You can't have them. You can't have what showing their faces. I, I, from what I heard, I think it's also you can't interview them. Right. Because they might end up telling their story. Well, yeah, because if you interview them, they become human, and then it's harder to, you know. Right. And the justification is, ooh, privacy. But, you know, it's... it's but they, they the, still the they, they agree last. to it. It's, 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 a, it's, it's a weird thing. Like, who, who is ACMA protecting here? The government. Right. I think. Yeah, that's, that is the, that's the way it sounds. Mm. Mm. Well, that shouldn't be their role. No. Uh, so if people fail to protect the government, if networks fail to protect the government... They will be told that they should try harder. Is that, is that it? There's an interesting story uh, on, on a different note uh, from uh, Variety uh, this last week uh, talking about copyright law and, uh, and the rights for distribution of television programs on different media. So uh, we, we've been following a, a little bit the uh, Optus versus Telstra AFL Debacle that's uh, that, that's been going on in the federal court. What is court. live streaming and what is like? I've I've saved the live stream and I'm I'm going to do it on demand, even though that might be thirty seconds after it's gone out live. Yeah, it's still it's still a recording that that I'm accessing. Mm. Uh, so there's there's that issue and there's also an issue in the US of what is uh, what is being shown via an app on an iPad and what is being shown via a website on an iPad. And that these are somehow different things that... This is like the whole GST on chicken thing, isn't it? It really is. is. If the chicken has a beak, then there's no GST on it. But if it has claws, then it's not a chicken. Well, yeah, according... Is it more the birthday cake? If it's a birthday cake made with chicken, it costs a certain amount. And if it's made without chicken... Now, hang on. No, if, if you set that chicken on fire... Yes, with a cake. With a cake... Then it's someone's birthday, but if it's not someone's birthday... But if you just buy the, the cake and ice it yourself... With a chicken. What do you pay? Do you, do you pay with a chicken? Um, for, streaming uh, media or? for listeners who are not aware of what... If, if you just uh, try on YouTube, John Hewson, A Current Affair, you'll, uh, you'll, you'll know exactly what we're talking about. This, I think, is a, a, a fascinating part... I, I find it fascinating. A fascinating part of you know, a, a tiny bit of, of law where people are trying to just take as much money as possible without 
actually having any reasonability. We're going to be looking at it a, a little bit more throughout this next season of Box Cutters. Uh, I just wanted to flag it now and say things are going to get very confusing later on. So finally, I just want to mention gaynewsnetwork.com.au and also its, its publications, MCV in Melbourne, Essex in Sydney and a few others, brought out their list of LGBTI people to watch in 2012 mm. uh, in this most recent issue. And there we have Ben Girard from the TV series Outland, which starts mm. in February, which apparently is brilliantly written, according to this interview, by someone called... Oh, it's me. And, oh, oh um, did you write that? I thought I wrote that. Yeah, yeah. You wrote the article. Did you no, write no, the article? No, 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 I didn't write the article. Uh, but hello to Garrett Bithel, if that's a real name, because it sounds suspicious. Oh, no, it's a gay lisp. Okay. It's Bissell. Oh, I see. Um, <laughs> but uh, they've, they've mentioned... Barry's ben, who is a fantastic actor, they, they've, they've picked him as one of their faces to watch for the year, and well done, Ben. So, see, is he, he's actually gay. It, it turns out he is. He's, he's actually gay, and he was gacting. And acting. He's, he's gay acting. He's gacting. And um, he's not, not only gay, but also famous, or gamers. <laughs> but he, he mentions... This is great, but he talks here about... Um, uh, I describe myself, if not as a gay geek, then at least as a person not stretched very much in playing one. I was, quite honestly and horribly, the most unpopular kid in school. And interestingly, playing Toby has taught me to see some of the reasons why. Friendship takes work and trust. We have to look in the mirror with the lights on and tell the truth about ourselves. And that... <laughs> Is the Gox Cutters News. Hi, my name's Rod Quantock, and you may know me from such films as... Well, I never made a film, but that's not the important thing. I'm here on the Box Cutters. It's a podcast, and I'm told it's on the internet. So get to the internet, look up podcast, look up Box Cutter, press enter, and shit, you might hear me. John? Yeah? Uh, you remember how, like, our favourite show last year was that ABC2 thing? The Almighty Johnsons? Yeah. Yeah, that was great. Uh... Lee Zachariah has come in. From the Almighty Johnsons? Yeah. So that we can tell him how great the Bazoura Project was. So he can go back to the cast of the Almighty Johnsons <laughs> and tell them. They'll be very interested. Uh, Lee Zachariah, thanks, thanks for coming to, to Box Cutters. Bazoura Project! Hooray! <laughs> he got it, finally. The, I, <sighs> no, and thank you for all the kind words. Well, you know what? They were, they were honest. They were honest words. I don't know if they were necessarily kind. I can't remember back that far. There was a lot of drinking... Over the summer holidays, thank but, you for the honest drinking. Well, hey, that is yeah. that, that, that is my pleasure. You've you've come in uh, today to talk to us about a, a special topic with relation to television because your your specialty is film. My special topic is film. There was uh, a time when the greatest filmmakers that were around that were, that were coming out of America were people who had started in television, did a lot of their work live mm-hmm. uh, in television, uh, and and then moved on. To film, mm-hmm. uh, people like Robert Altman, for, for example, and uh, and Arthur Penn. Those are two that come to mind. Having uh, having just struggled <laughs> with uh, trying to remember people's names because that's how much I drank over the over the <laughs> summer. So uh, people like those would uh, kind of cut their teeth in television and then move into film, kind of graduate yes. into into film. There was also, though, a time in which people wouldn't, from film would not ever do television. Yes. It was seen as being a terrible, terrible thing for a, for a filmmaker or a film actor or anyone to, to stoop so low. Very much slumming it. Slumming it, yeah. Which was very much the, the 70s through to the uh, late 90s. Yes, and yet, you know, like today's show we'll be looking at in a moment is, is, uh, is Gus Van Sant, has Mario Van Peebles. You know, it's, it's all these names now we'll do... We'll do both. Yeah. Uh, Mario Van Peebles was never a, uh, a stamp of great cinema, though. No, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> he had but a go. Bless him. Lee. 
Yes. We've brought you in to tell us uh, which filmmakers really did make that transition from film into television and did they do it successfully? Well, I think uh, certainly the ones I'm going to mention did it successfully because the ones who did it unsuccessfully uh, we tend to forget, or I do anyway, I tend to push them out of my mind. David Lynch, I think, is one of the big names that... Never heard of him. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You know, this is, excuse me, a damn fine cup of coffee. I've had, I can't tell you how many cups of coffee in my life, and this, this is one of the best. Now, he is, um, of course, a great filmmaker who I think really helped turn the tide in terms of how we perceive what television can do um, with his show Twin Peaks. And On The Air, which I haven't seen, but I got a threatening email from John uh, saying mention On The Air. <laughs> so I've done that now and can move on to Twin Peaks. So what was it like On The Air? It was fantastic. Ladies and gentlemen, it's our belief that tonight America will be watching Lester Guy, starring in the Lester Guy show. All of our research indicates that America wants to see movie stars on television. And we are all so grateful that a star of the caliber of Lester Guy has agreed to star in the Lester Guy Show on Zablotnik Broadcasting Corporation National Television. I believe you all know my assistant and your network representative, Ms. Nicole Thorne. Tonight, everything must run perfectly. You are a well-oiled, precision machine. This is live television, ladies and gentlemen. The future of our entire network is rioting on this show! That can never happen! I had a coffee with milk. Um, there's something I don't understand. How can it never happen if it already did happen? Yeah, Lynch, uh, Lynch really, I think, changed how we view television. I think HBO... Uh, and the model for shows like Carnivale and uh, Deadwood owe a lot to Twin Peaks um, in terms of that sort of arty, semi-literary approach that was, you know, a, a world away from what everyone was used to. That must have been a risk too, surely, at the time for him, I imagine. It could have been. I, I don't think he really thought in terms of risk. I think he something would he'd be watching Peyton Place and something would jump into his head and he'd go, "All right, I'm going to go and make that." Um, but but David Lynch didn't do it alone, though. He he teamed up with Mark Frost. So so he had he had the the TV knowledge, uh, and I don't, I've I've always thought of David Lynch. While he is a an excellent filmmaker, he is kind of you know if he was a cricketer, he'd be an all rounder. He does everything he paints and he does cartoons and he does uh plays and he does uh you know didactic panels and he he meditates he tweets about the weather he does name it and he's done it yeah he does uh competitions where people can sit down and eat uh hamburgers with him at bob's big boy restaurant <laughs> and yet i don't think we'd be talking about the show if if it was just mark frost it's oh, like, you oh, know no. like i think mark frost you know may have have helped it happen in a real world but it's funny how it's so much the the lynchian coloring on that show yeah it's it's a really interesting because it, i don't think it would be talking about it without with without either of them i think mark frost is such a such an important producer tv wise and david lynch is is such an important uh visual and storytelling provider uh that 
Yeah, sorry, I've, I've interrupted you completely, no, no, no. Lee. But I think I think the the two of them together were were extraordinary. I should mention that on the air, which we're going. It, it is mm. actually it's a it's a comedy series set in a radio station that David Lynch made. That as far as I know, no one has ever seen. Has any ever seen it? I've I've never I've never seen it. I tried to get it for years and years and years before. Uh, the internet made things easy to get, uh, but I don't. I don't even think it's been released on DVD officially uh, or unofficially, and definitely not on VHS. So we, we have no idea if that succeeded or not. Oh no, it failed. It failed <laughs> miserably. It it really. I think it, it lasted like three or four episodes, and then and then <laughs> like a, like like Wiley e. Coyote. Uh, the See, so yeah, it, it failed, but because I've never seen it, I have no idea why. We should do that as a things you've definitely missed coming up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Things you've undoubtedly missed. This is an axe. I say this for the information of those of you whose television tubes may have burned out. I wish to reach the widest possible audience. Tonight's theme song will be that familiar little ditty everybody knows. Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. And when she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. I venture that by this time you can see we are not presenting a romantic comedy tonight. Another uh, key figure, years and years back, well, long before Mr. David Lynch, there was Mr. Alfred Hitchcock, whose anthology show, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, preceded The Twilight Zone. Uh, it wasn't the first anthology show, of course, um, but it was uh, a. It started off as a twenty-five-minute uh, show where a typical Hitchcockian idea that maybe would not work if it was fleshed out to two hours was um, was played out, and uh, then they eventually did fifty-minute shows. And I find it really interesting because it influenced the show itself. Influenced how Hitchcock made films because he got to a point where he really wanted to make uh, Psycho and Paramount wouldn't give him the money he wanted. And so he took his TV crew and shot it in less than two months using all of the skills he, he'd picked up doing the show. And so Psycho, this you know genre-changing landmark of cinema, was directly inspired by his TV show. Which I think is also why Psycho, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, with my film history, also why Psycho is uh, in 4.3. Yes. Uh, and, and why it's in black and white. Uh, because all of these, all of these were things that his crew knew how to do and mm. knew how to work with. Absolutely, yeah. Did he direct any of the TV show? Yeah, he directed a handful of episodes. It is a great series. If if people haven't seen it, uh, yeah. I, I just bought the uh, the the first series mm. of Alfred Hitchcock Presents, and it's it's extraordinary. And Man from the South is uh, is a, a, a story that. Well, the gets twi- told and the told twist, and told. The twist at the end of every episode is that they've got three fingers. No, that's just that's just man from the south. Yeah, every single episode, someone pulls off a glove and goes, "But I've got three fingers." Actually, there are about five years worth of Outer Limits episodes that ended like that. Yeah. <laughs> and the Invaders, but that was actually they couldn't bend their finger. <laughs> that's because that's they had how splints. terrifying they were. <laughs> that's because they, they had can't sp- bend their little finger. That's splints. <laughs> 
They have finger splints. Finger splints, yeah. Because they, they terrifying. Are horrible bowling accidents, <laughs> all of them. He's saying that ideas are his currency. Well, if that's his currency, then let's see the color of his money. Yeah, well, just aside from anything else, I mean, just the thing that spurred my gut reaction is, is that someone would allow himself or encourage his publicist to betray him in such a sentimental manner. I mean, these soulful monologues by the fireside with this soppy music underneath. I just, I don't trust anyone. He's a lovely man. He's a lovely man. That's, that's all he is, as far as I'm concerned. And He's a nice not, man. And you don't particularly want to love him. No, I think I'd, I, I have to have a little more substance. He's the perfect vice president. <laughs> but stand by for the segue to end all segues because somebody else who got their start or one of their starts directing Alfred Hitchcock Presents episodes was Robert Altman because Hitchcock had seen his very, very early work and thought he was a big talent and brought him on to, to do some directing. His early work was that his tractor ads? His tractor ads, yes. Uh, a film called, I think, The Delinquents, which I haven't been able to track down. Oh, Carly Minogue. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, I've seen it. And that American guy in it, Hand on My Heart, was... Uh... <laughs> so far, wasn't it? Yes, that's the one. Um, but of course, Altman went on to become this extraordinary American uh, director. I mean, he was American beforehand, but um, he, <laughs> he wasn't but extraordinary. He, he was quite ordinary being before American. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, he made the likes of uh, Mash and the the movie, not the TV show. The the movie, yes, yes, the movie. Very different from the TV show. Just as good. Predaporte. Predaporte, a classic. Um, but <laughs> Shortcuts, Nashville. Like, there's much yes, yes. Yeah, I'm not quite sure why you went Predaporte. <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> yeah when, when you go Dr. T and the women. <laughs> <laughs> that thing about dancing. But the, the ABC show. I said, love the fact we've got you in. Yeah. Just to kind of, you, know, you sit in a corner, you know, leave from the Zero Project and say <laughs> stuff. I'm willing to ignore you. Say stuff and then we'll make jokes about it. <laughs> you, you guys don't mind. I'm reading a magazine over here while you do your thing. Like, that's not a problem, is it? But, uh, of course, after Altman did his whole amazing film director thingy, he went back... Wow, I wish I'd rethought that sentence. But he went back to television and made Tanner 88 for HBO. Oh, hey, I was yeah. wondering if this would elicit a gasp of <laughs> awe. Uh, written by the brilliant Gary Trudeau, who does uh, Doonesbury. Uh, it was sort of... I don't want to say mockumentary, but it was told... Uh, during the, I think, Democratic uh, presidential primaries where this fake uh, congressman uh, called Tanner was trying to run for president and, of course, loses the nomination to Dukakis? What was 88? Uh, yeah. No. Uh, 88 would have been to Dukakis. Yeah. And, uh, yes, it was, uh, it's absolutely brilliant. Six-part six part show, unfairly forgotten by people outside of this room. And um, It's weird, though, because I think... Uh, that's one of those shows that that you would point to and say is probably more influential than you know a lot of stuff that year. Like it, it's mm. that that has in many ways led to the single camera sitcom and the sort of humour we have now and the mockumentary starts. I mean, how much was going on with that and mm. with Twin Peaks around the same era? There weren't necessarily the biggest rating shows, but definitely I think you know, led well, the way. It's so rarely cited as a big influence that. Uh, when I discovered it, I thought I'd unearthed this treasure that had been lost to the ages. And uh, at the same time, uh, found Tanner on Tanner, the 2004 follow-up, uh, in which all the characters return. Trudeau again writes, Altman again directs. And uh, it's not quite as brilliant as the original, but it's a, really, uh, it's a really great piece and certainly benefits from watching them back-to-back. Altman's a really interesting case in that, I think, 
his television. He's somebody who was so suited to television and yet once he developed his style, did so little of it. But what he did do was fantastic. Uh, with, uh, with 10 or 88, it was more stunt TV as well rather than, rather than mockumentary because he actually went to... He actually did some real campaigning and, yeah. and went to uh, actual conventions and... Yeah, he almost uh, gets Jesse Jackson's endorsement at one point, which is so, pretty amazing. I so in, in, that, in that way, it also kind of uh, preempts all like Brass Eye and all the stuff that mm. John Safran does and, uh, and that uh, Charlie Brooker does and, and kind of all that putting yourself in, in a real situation when you know you're not taking it seriously. Did it ever play on television here? Because I remember it playing in film festivals. I, uh, I, d- I don't remember it ever playing on television no. here, but that's just me not remembering, not necessarily that it didn't. Maybe I was just too busy watching Moonlighting. Yeah. I was seven when it was made, so I have no idea. <laughs> Sorry. I'm so rarely the youngest person uh, in the room. I try to exploit it whenever I can. God, Mr. President. It's good to have you here. Your servant, as always. What made you agree to take the post? I don't know. I suppose it's possible I was drunk. Reasonable there. Listen, I've got to go a few blocks across town and give an address on global warming and the future of our planet. That's not something you're interested in, right? Oh, good God, man. Okay. Well, stay here and fight with Leo about something. We'll get you some dinner. I'll be back in an hour. We'll do your thing and then enjoy the reception. Excellent. Indeed. Here we go. An hour, did he say? Yes. I'll need some amusement. Good evening, Your Lordship. Excellent. Uh, now, it's not just directors who make the move from film to television. Writers tend to do that as well, especially when they're, they can't get work. But Aaron Sorkin was not one of those uh, out-of-work writers. He, he was somebody who had written A Few Good Men and Malice and The American President. He was something of a golden child, but it wasn't until he went to television that he became a bit of a superstar. He's one of the, the few writers that so many people recognise by name. Uh, he did Sports Night, but most notably... Uh, the West Wing, which... Never heard of it. No? And no. It was small. Not many right, people right. saw it. Um, four fantastic seasons, three seasons of fan fiction after he left. <laughs> um, but certainly a film that was... Because when he wrote the script for The American President, it was, I think, um, 570 pages long. Um, now, I am making that up, but it was still pretty long. <laughs> and when he did West Wing, he basically used all the stuff he hadn't used. And in one or two moments, stuff that had actually made it to the, into the American president. The, the, there are characters in the American president that are... Like, uh, Michael J. Fox's character is so very definitely Josh Lyman. Like, mm. it's just... There, there is no... Well, Josh Lyman, I think this is linking back, isn't it Josh Lyman who his name comes from a Doonesbury cartoon? That is correct. And it's actually on the wall in his office. Yes. They've got a framed copy of the Doonesbury cartoon that, that the character's name is taken from, who, of course, wrote Tanner 88, not Doonesbury or Josh Lyman, but... The, I almost I was going to bring that up, and I thought, no, they'll think I'm a massive geek. You cannot be too nerdy for this show, Lee Zachariah. You absolutely cannot. Good to know. Geek us up. What else have you got? What else have I got? Uh, Sorkin. Sorkin? Done. Sorkin, yeah. Tick. Sorkin, and he's returning to television after winning an Oscar. Ah, now, television is prestigious. This, this is actually also interesting because I remember when, when I was watching and being disappointed by Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, thinking, why, fight, fight, why fight, didn't fight, he just fight. make this in a newsroom, which would be much more in keeping with his personal interests and would be much more believable. And the new series he's doing is set in a TV it newsroom. It is set in a cable newsroom, yes. So behind I'm the actually quite excited. I think the new one could be good. L- Lee, I, I know... 
quite like Studio 60. Yes, I do. And I wanted to ask you this privately, but now that we're here with microphones and, and recording equipment, mm-hmm. why? You're, you're the only person I know who, who actually likes it. Oh, I can unearth some more. No, I think it's, it's, it's fantastic. I, uh, I think it suffers a bit from comparisons with 30 Rock because they're both shows about comedy shows and one of them's a comedy and one of them's a drama. And I, I, th- I think... Um, a lot of people criticised because it was all the characters took what they did so seriously and all these. But the thing is, he's always written like that, even before The West Wing. It doesn't matter what you're doing. He loves people who take what they do incredibly seriously. Hmm. Um, so I, 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 I like that. I also like the fact that the sketches in the show, the show within a show, they weren't particularly funny. And yet they were so much funnier than most of what Saturday Night Live puts to air. So I kind of found that accurate, but maybe a bit too funny. Um, but most of all, I like the characters. I like his writing. I like Sorkin on a bad day. I'll take over a million other writers on a good day. That's fair, fair enough. And, and also, you are quite young. I'm pretty young. <laughs> <laughs> what? Was that just doing uh, dismissing Lee's opinion at just, the end there? That's the only way I can do it. it's patently wrong. It's, just, it's, it's, got, it's got to be wrong. The man was born in 1981. Are we going to wrap up soon? It's a school night. <laughs> <laughs> What else have you got for us, Lee? Well, I have Brian Singer. Now, ah. the reason I'm bringing up Brian Singer ties into what you're going to be talking about later because he, he kind of represents what happens a lot these days where TV pilots will be directed by a big-name director to set the style. We saw McGee do it for the OC. Sorry to bring both of those acronyms up. You've got... Martin Scorsese doing Boardwalk Empire. They will bring in a big director to come and do the pilot to to set the tone. And the reason I've used Brian Singer as the example is because Brian Singer, to bring it back to film, he was doing... He did X-Men, big hit. He did X-Men 2, big hit. He then, as he was about to sign for X-Men 3, instead signed to do the Superman movie. Tom Rothman, the head of Fox, was so angry at him for this that as the story goes, he had security come and throw Brian Singer off the lot. Actually escort him off because he was that pissed off. The best bit is that moments later, security had to let Brian Singer back in because he was there to direct the pilot for House. (laughs) (laughs) And I I just love the crazy Hollywoodness of that story. Um, So Brian Singer, another one who represents this vast sea of film directors who set the tone for television we watch. Have you got a uh, Quentin Tarantino anecdote for us? I sure don't. <laughs> <laughs> really? But he did direct C- uh, an episode of CSI, so there you go. And uh, and, and uh, an episode AR. of AR. AR, that's right. And yes. uh, and that was it, it was huge because it was just after Pulp Fiction. And it's like, mm. oh well, this is the the biggest show in the world is getting the biggest director in the world to direct it, and then everybody watched it and went, it's just another episode of AR, mm. except like, they were wearing dark glasses. Yeah, yeah, and and skinny ties. Yeah, but that, that was interesting because like, that proved that that uh, television, like you're saying, how the the directors come in now to do the pilot to set the tone. Mm-hmm. Because the way television works is the television show, you know, crushes everyone else. Like, so Tarantino comes in and can't actually do a Tarantino episode anyway, really. Yeah, because it's, it's always going to be an episode of VR. Yeah. Because it, it has to be, because yeah. that's what people are tuning in and, and expecting. And, and there's a stars, the tones, the way they make them. You know, it can't change that much. You can't drastically change it. Yeah. Uh, thank you, thank you, Lee. That's, oh, thank you. That's 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 fascinating. There's uh, there's a whole world now of uh, of it, it's it's kind of like a mixed soup. It, it, makes, it makes me feel a bit dirty, though. In what way? Just that 
you know, for so long we were the the champions of television. And now everyone likes it. Yeah, actually, that, weird enough, I have a bit of that too. That it used to be when we started, you know, doing this thing, it was like, no TV really is good, and now everyone knows that, and that's all people talk about at dinner parties. Yeah, as a lifelong Doctor Who fan, I understand where you're coming from with this. Right? Yeah. Do you feel yeah. a bit like you know, because you were there in the unpopular years, and and people have just jumped on the bandwagon? Absolutely. Well, I kind of feel like I'm so glad it's popular, and then everyone gets it, but it's no longer a cool oh well not a cool it was never a cool a niche thing that me and a few other people know about you know it was our our thing now you know everyone loves it i had that same thing when uh, freddie mercury died and everybody jumped on the queen bandwagon hang on queen were a huge band what are you talking about <laughs> they were queen, fairly queen big were but, massive. but they then were... everybody got onto it when freddie died according to the documentary mm-hmm. that was on the abc a few weeks back they mm. were always massive but they were never cool I thought that was interesting. So they were never actually of the moment as such. They were never like a, a part of a scene or part of a, a credible kind of anything. So maybe though now they're just you know seen as as rock legends, whereas back then they were just popular. Oh, yeah, maybe. Mm. I was a bit of a Queen nerd. I had everything on vinyl apart from the original issue, Flash Gordon, because that was very rare. Ah, oh. that's a film. We learned. <laughs> We, we've learnt a lot here. Thank you very much, Lee Zachariah. We, we hope to see you uh, in our studio soon because it's probably going to be a lot sooner than a Bazura Project Series 3. I couldn't possibly comment as I nod to you across the studio. <laughs> Great. I can't even remember how convoluted my question was. Sacrifices. On the rise to the top, I've made too many to count. Friends colleagues, family. Still, sacrifices are easy when you're holding the knife. Tom Kane is the mayor of Chicago and he's just found out that he has a degenerative neurological disorder that will cause occasional plot-relevant disorientation and short-term memory loss. He is, however, a man who cannot show weakness because he runs the city. He runs every part of the city. He didn't get to be mayor of Chicago by being a nice guy and he's not going to start now. This guy is a complete prick who will shake your hand and stab you in the back at the same time. He gets involved in the state governor election race. He has debts to pay and debt owed to him. He is a violent, self important unsympathetic man he has an unsympathetic wife an unsympathetic former junkie current priest daughter unsympathetic staff and unsympathetic colleagues there are other storylines that involve healthcare, education the economy infidelity unions cultural sensitivity urban development boobs asses pubic hair and in-home nursing spoilers it's an eight episode series it's been renewed for a second season it stars kelsey Grammer as tom kane the mayor of chicago uh, Connie Nielsen, not to be mistaken for Bridget Nielsen, who I thought would have been much better as Meredith Kane, Tom Kane's wife. Uh, Kathleen Robertson uh, is Kitty O'Neill, Tom Kane's personal aide. And uh, how close is that to a bond? It really is her name, Kitty O'Neill. I, really, I, I actually hadn't picked that up in the show. It is really K- Kitty O'Neill. Uh, Kitty O'Neill. And, and most importantly, Martin Donovan as Ezra Stone, who is Tom Kane's senior political advisor and probably the best thing in this show. Great to see Jason's father out there uh, getting some work. 
No, that's t- Terry. That's Terry oh, Donovan. Of course it is. Yeah. It's on Stars Network. Stars! Uh, yes, yeah, Stars. <laughs> uh, which had uh, Spartacus and Party Down. Uh, it's from the USA. I found no Australian air dates or networks that uh, are going to have it. Uh, it is created by Farad Safina, who. Safinia, sorry, who co wrote Apocalypto with Mel Gibson. He started off as Mel Gibson's assistant and. Uh, and then co-wrote, co-wrote that 2006 film, and this is the uh, the, the next thing that he's uh, that he's done. Do I, do I, hasn't done much. Do I take that you didn't like it from your little? Uh, I'm not a big fan. I'm not a big fan of uh, of of Boss. I think it looks beautiful. As uh, as as we said with Lee, it was directed by. Oh, the first episode was directed by Gus Van Sant, and he set a beautiful tone for for the show it looks fantastic it, you know what it looks good and the sound mix is really good uh, like it's all, all it of really the, is yeah. I was going to make a list before of good and bad and I forgot mm. to put the sound in good it's sound, very good sound the sound mix is great in it and the and the visuals in it are, are fantastic and the acting is a little bit scenery chewy but, but quite good uh, the, the uh, I just there is nothing that I like about I, any I, of the characters. I had that weird experience that I think I had a bit with Crownies where I, I'm not angry, I'm just disappointed. And I kind of, I can see all this stuff in this show that, that should be really good or could be really good. It could really work. But yeah, like you're saying, I, I think the biggest thing's going for is the fact that the, the Gus Van Sant first episode and the look of it is just phenomenally good. And they did actually carry me quite a long way with it. Um, these amazing, extreme close-ups it uses and very beautiful shots. I think it also, I would, I would have found it much harder to get through the three episodes without Kelsey Grammer in the lead role. I think he brings so much goodwill. If, you, if, you're, a friend, if you're a fan of Frasier, which I was. Or, he, or he, Sideshow Bob. He brings, yeah, he brings so much goodwill with him. Which yes. was just Frasier in Big Feet. Yeah, yeah that, I think, that I think that drags you a lot of the way. I, I love Martin Donovan. I love seeing Martin Donovan and going, oh, look, it's Martin it's Donovan. It's Martin yeah. Donovan. And he's, he's the only one who's, like, holding back on his acting. Yeah, I, I got quite excited about that. And the idea of it, the idea that there's this, you know, very powerful man who's dying, who's, who's been obviously a bit of a bastard and is now reevaluating his life, is a great idea. It's a great concept for a show. And then that's where I lead into the bad list. Which is what the... Uh, well, it's headed the, by nipples is the first thing. <laughs> it has the most gratuitous sex scenes you've ever seen. No, it doesn't. Oh, yes, it oh does. come on. No. Rick, oh, come on. One of them no, I thought was a dream very, sequence. Very standard There's, for today's, No, they, are, they for really are not. TV. They really are not. Because also... Less, less so than Spartacus. No, no, but the thing in Spartacus is it's a pulpy, trashy concept already, and it's equal opportunity you know, tits and bums. Whereas this is so gratuitously only women. As well. Yeah, but that's the thing. But, which at least you go, it's a trashy concept. Yeah. You know, it's from a trashy, you know, idea. This is trying to be a serious, proper drama, which makes this stuff so much more gratuitous than it is in, say, in True Blood no, or in Spartacus. Or, no, it's, it's no, like when, it's it's like it's, when uh, Chances was on, on Channel 9. Yeah, Everybody, but every, Chances wasn't trying to be good. That's that my t- point, though. There is, can I, the, the can I give, give, give an example? Because listeners may not have, have seen it. Uh, episode two, I believe, there is a scene in an open corridor where Kitty O'Neill rips open her blouse and pulls out a boob. You're not even choosing the gratuitous ones, though. Episode. No, that's, that's but that's that's the one that that is the one that for me just went. Oh, 
this is ridiculous. I, I felt it was the that bit where ridiculous. he's making the prostitutes have lesbian sex so he can have a very long monologue about the old grey mare. Yes. That was the first one that made me go, that was really, this is just getting silly. And the girls themselves are stopping going, hang on, look, do you want to do a boring speech or do you want to watch us do lesbian sex? Yeah, goes, I didn't tell you to stop. <laughs> at least, at least in, in, in Deadwood, the blowjob soliloquies like were there for for a reason. Like you, you know, that's he was getting a blowjob, but having a soliloquy at the same time. Yeah. And in episode it three, episode three, a woman basically does something that would have got her fired during her work day in order to come onto Kelsey Grammer in a way that I assumed was a six feet under dream sequence and kept waiting for it to snap back to the real world. Where yeah, I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't believe. That, I couldn't believe that that, I mean, that was odd. I also thought that was a dream sequence until the episode ended and with, just went, with his other old mare friend. Yeah, it's but, ludicrous. Yeah. It's out of nowhere. I, no, it wasn't out of nowhere. That had a meaningful look. Oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> on his, you know, on his you previous visit, I've, it, had meaningful, I've had meaningful looks with lots You're of not women. The mayor of goddamn I've, Chicago. I've had that is a powerful, powerful man. <laughs> and, and he wields that power like nobody else can. And the other thing I was going to say that I did go online and I was reading. There is a rumor, which seems like it might be true, that Stars has demanded a certain amount of nipples per episode. Mm. It could well be that it's well, actually part of what they have to deliver. As because the, because Spartacus did so well for them, that mm-hmm. that, that makes sense. And, and maybe and that's why Party Down failed because there weren't called, enough nipples. Enough nipples. I was just got Rome. The, the Brazilians in Rome? Rome was HBO, though, I think, or Showtime was one. And again, Rome wasn't it, really a serious like drama. I, yeah, that's what I mean. This is trying to be a so serious... I think it's across the board with cable drama, that, or cable anything. But really. some things it makes sense in, because they're kind of trashy, campy. This, thing, this is not a camp show. To suddenly have these camp moments in it is like, just, oh, that's just it, silly. It actually, it actually, for me, ruins the show. Like, it, on top of all the lack of sympathy, the, the, the nipples and... Uh, so many sex scenes, uh, so many of them involving Kitty O'Neill. But, but I think so, she's so got the, a problem. Yeah, her problem is that she's got a bad agent. And I've got to say, I'm the, the worst actor is the one playing the daughter of him, uh, who I think is so Hannah, appalling. That Hannah, beware. Really? Her name is Ware, but... Hannah, beware, don't hire her. Also, I mean, the whole thing with politicians are just all evil. It's weird because this, like um, this is like the anti-West Wing, how the West Wing was this you know, slightly glorified idea of what you want okay. politicians to be. So they've all got it for good reasons. They try to make good things happen, and sometimes they fail. This is like every politician is a venal, evil person who only wants power. Every, everything... I, I find that everything in this show has been elevated to a level of porn. So the power is at a porn level. The violence is at a porn level. The it's sex I mean, is at a porn level. It's clearly meant to be Shakespearean, and they do quote Shakespeare repeatedly. And, and so, I mean, they are, they are aiming for a certain... And it reminded me most of King's, that show we looked at, which was... A biblical oh. take on all this, and it's oh, all. Oh, you've just, but you've no, no, just but that, but that's, given me food poisoning clearly, by mentioning it. That's clearly what they're trying to do. And so the wife is a Lady Macbeth type character, and he's a King Lear type character. And, again, and that, that again, I think it leads me to that whole but they're I, from I, different place. I know, but I want to like this show. I also love this. Something else I've mentioned here that it does this whole thing about speeches, which I find really interesting. It tries to tell the story through. So many of these people are public speakers, and they're often appearing in public and talking which would be great if it was doing something that wasn't just so cringingly heavy-handedly telling you exactly what you're seeing on the screen anyway. Like when the daughter's talking about how you should turn to God, because he'll be there for you. He will be there for you. And, of course, he, you know, her father walks in, and it's clear that he, she could be talking about God, or she could be talking about her father. Oh, my God. Now, I have a feeling, John Richards, I have a feeling that Brett Cropley liked this The weird show. thing is, I actually, th- I actually thought I was liking the show at the beginning, and I desperately was trying to like this show, and, yeah, and then obviously failed. Now, Brett, you, 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 you guys you like 
realize this thing is set in Chicago. The the Chicago. It's pronounced Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the 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 center of gravity of corruption well, in powerful that's places. That's the only thing that allowed me to forgive it for some of it, but by the third episode when they're making people disappear forever, I just found it, it got to this whole, like, he's more powerful than the president kind of element, and I was... Well, no, no, the, it's just within Chicago. It, it, she no, no, no. disappeared forever. He makes someone she disappear was, and she can never she come back. Sense of why. And uh, can there, never uh, come back. There is, I, did, I watched four episodes of this. I, watched, I thought you watched the whole thing. No, no, I watched four episodes. Okay. That was enough. Really? Yeah. No, I want much more. I actually also, I also, your three um, episode thing. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't work it, because it's only an eight parter. And I, I, I think that I'm, I'm starting to think that that maybe we need to reevaluate and watch the entire series if it's less. Oh than come episodes. on! No, <laughs> no, because the point here is one episode would have been enough. In fact, I would have given it a better review if I'd watched one episode. And I was watching yes, it weekly. Yeah. I probably but, would have yeah. would have liked I, it, it more. It certainly didn't stay to the box cutters rule of three of you have the pilot, then you have the exposition, then you have you get rolling, rolling on it. Um, I I've almost forgiven Gus Van Sant for Elephant oh, through see, watching I, this. I. There's, I, I keep re- forgetting. Like I, I keep thinking, why didn't I see milk? And then someone will mention elephant, and I'll go, oh, that's why I didn't see milk. Gus Van Sant has disappointed me more than he has impressed me, and uh, and I think, I think with, with this, as far as the visual style of it, he's he's impressed me. Uh, the actors are all fine too. I, mean, I, th- I think Gus Van Sant's a good job, and I, I like milk, and I'm, I haven't seen Elephant, so maybe I, I just, don't. I dodge it's that bullet. Terrible. But yeah, I certainly have. There's nothing wrong with the. In fact, it's not. I mean, it's very attractive. It's a very attractive and appealing show. So and it, and I, it looks great. And I think if I if I just watched the first episode, I would I would go, oh, you know what? There was there was a little bit of dodgy stuff in there, but I think it's going to come good. So I think maybe you guys are, are hung up on the political fantasy title, the title of the genre of it. Like the the, the midget's really interesting, and the political dynamics. No, you're, be- you're, you're, talk, you're talking about Game of Thrones. That's Game of Thrones you're talking about there, Brett. It's complete. It's different. It's different show. This, oh, I don't know. How this that has bit of review got it. This has more, more less beards. So what did you like though? What did you like, Cropley? Um, well, that that he's. He's evil, and, and he acknowledges that he's evil, and he, he acknowledges to other evil men that he's evil and, and kind of pisses on them because they're not very good at it or, or whatever. Uh, the, like, I, I, I don't see it as uh, a realistic thing, but I don't live in Chicago, and, and yeah, I'll, I'll go along with, with uh, the, the stories that they tell about it, and, and you know, it was, it was run by the mob for, for decades that, and decades. My, my biggest problem is I can't see why any of them got into politics in the first place, and that's the problem, and there's one speech... Really good sex. There's, there's one speech given to Kitty in passing, unconvincingly, which I think is actually meant to be quite important, where she says to the, the, the guy that trained her that... You, you generate political capital and it gives you power so you can get the good things through you need to get through. And there's a bit in the first episode where you kind of get the idea that Kelsey Grammer genuinely wants this O'Hare airport upgrade because he thinks it's important for the city. But you never really get... his legacy. Well, but maybe. But thing is, because you, you don't get any moments explaining why they want to do this anyway, it just sounds tiring and because dull. Because O'Hare airport's watch, the busiest airport No, 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 not that. But I'm saying why are, they no, bothered, why are they bothering getting into politics when, like, even the, the guy running against the governor says, yeah, it's a struggle every day and whatever. It's like, well, then... Quit. I mean, I'm bored watching you do this, I'm, and you're bored doing it. Then why? I'm really, you know? I'm really keen to see what boss is like 
up against uh, you, you know that uh, Netflix is is doing uh, the British series House of Cards. Oh yeah, uh, which is a very similar dynamic. It's it's a a, a man who's driven by a, a need for power through through politics and uh, and has that power run his entire life. Is that recent? Or is it... Has a car... It's from the 80s, I think. Late, late, late 90s, mm. maybe? Uh, I thought it was earlier than that. But yeah, somewhere around that kind of period. Uh, it's, it's, it's about 15, 15, 20 years old. Yep. Uh, the, um, it, it was three series uh, and definitely worth getting your hands on. I mean, it's, you know, highly melodramatic and, and in, in that same way of it not being, uh, not being realistic. And, and something like this doesn't have to be realistic in order for... For for it to be good, it just has to be within its own internal logic. But no one in this has anything that. I mean, if if this was like set in Caprica in the Battlestar Galactica universe, I'd probably go with it more because the people in it don't behave like human beings. That's more the biggest issue I think I'm having with it. Actually, the 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 people throwing themselves at other people for for sex reminds me a lot of uh, of the uh, Balthazar uh, character in. And how he gets uh, all that excellent sex from the robot at yeah. the start of, of Battlestar Galactica. And see, now you've put that in my head. I'm actually liking the show slightly more because now that I see that Kelsey Grammer is Guy's Bolter and that oh, his Guy's wife Bolter. is in fact number six, then I can. The, uh, and, and but but there there isn't enough to to make us think. Well, this is kind of alternate universe Chicago or Chicago, as I like to call it. Mm. It is. Uh, it, it, it is no, it's the same be... universe as the Chicago Code. The and, I think and, so. no and if she had it, if she had re, uh, re, remained as uh, the the police commissioner or whatever that their um, the parallel is over there, she would have cleaned up Kelsey Grammer. The 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 thing about the Chicago Code though, uh, and and Boss is yes, they both take as their as their inspiration the extreme corruption that we. We are to understand is what Chicago is, is built on, which is which is fine, but there th- there is a I, I don't want to use the the phrase co- comic book. It, it, it is a caricature and a badly drawn caricature, and I think that's that's the problem that that I have. If it was a well drawn caricature of uh, of excess, like if it was all this ridiculous excess with a wink at the audience. Well, actually, it just occurred to me from what you're saying, Brett, that if the characters were enjoying it, I think I'd be able to go with it a bit more. Like if I could say, "Yeah, he's this horrible man," or "He's a, she's a horrible woman," and he, yeah, but they're really, well, he, really enjoying this excess in life. But he got. certainly would but, have. But we've just come to him. But none of the but none of the characters are going to die and, and and he's losing his ability. But that's what I mean. To, Every character is so angry and miserable. You end up going, "Well, you're not even enjoying this thing you're doing." No, but Kitty is enjoying it. Well, is she? Is she doesn't come across as someone who enjoys anything. It's in the third episode they, they indicate that she's not a robot. Yeah, she just she just seems to be going along with whatever happens at the time. What about the Chronicle reporter, the and Sentinel then, reporter? And then she—he's well, crazy a bit nuts, isn't he? He's presented as being unhinged. He's, he's good, but <laughs> but but again, like there, there is nothing in this show that we haven't seen in Deadwood, in The Wire, in the Shield. Like nothing is. 
There's is nothing original. New under the sun. Nothing's there original. Is you can't make oh, anything original. Shut the hell up, Brad. That is just the most well, ridiculous. That's a, shut like this it, podcast down if that's your approach. You put it in different ways and you have different emotional connections to them. Yeah, you put it in different ways. You don't take... I mean, what you said before, John, about, well, he's King Lear and she's Lady Macbeth. and Yes, but there's... They haven't done anything with them. They've taken King Lear and Lady Macbeth and uh, and a character from The Wire and and a character from Deadwood and uh, and some scenery from uh, Peter Gus Van Sant film and and they've put it all in one place and said, all right, now everyone play together, and it doesn't work that way. There's no there's no coherence, no no. You know what that also sounds like? American Horror Story, but that's next week. I oh, see. American Horror Story has its own... Inter- like, yeah, we, we, will t- we will talk about it next week. The problem with this, it could be really, really good. I can see so much in it that's really good. And then it goes and hears some gratuitous boobies and everyone's angry. But they're just boobs. What that does is, like, it'll, it'll suck... It'll suck me into the show and make me go... Oh, that's when you okay, get your no, breath back. It'll suck me into the show and make me go, oh, I really... I really want to see what's happening with this character. I'm really wow. He's he's actually let a slip, or or he's he's found out that the thing that he thought he said he didn't actually say. Uh, that's it, oh, they've just pulled me out of they've just pulled me out of that. They've just pulled me out of that with a weird prostitute lesbian scene. The weird thing too, but it really didn't do that. That little bit of it hadn't finished you off at that point for it to go into the weird little lesbian scene. No, because this, the episode wasn't over. The episode wasn't over, and I'm there for the entire episode. I'm not taking little breaks in an episode. I'm not a child who That's, needs... Who like, there's such an oppressive atmosphere through the whole thing that I think that you do need to have a release valve to be able to, to take a breath. No, nah, I think that's for softcocks. Okay. <laughs> that's boss. It's for softcocks. We don't know when it's going to... Uh, when it's going to air in Australia, if it will air in Australia, it has been renewed for a second season uh, on Stars. There will be ten episodes in the Stars. second season, but it's going to have a new showrunner uh, because Farad Safinia is uh, is off doing a, a number of other projects, including possibly a 2015 movie uh, version of Brave New World. I would come back for series two. I, w- I would not watch this, but I would come back and watch the first episodes of series two. And Under see, a new showrunner and and see, see if, if what, what had changed. changed. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. If you watch one thing. If I was going to watch one thing this week, it would be Psychoville Series 2 starting uh, this Thursday night, the 12th of January on this ABC 2. Mm-hmm. I'm going to watch Commercial Kings. Have you guys seen any of Commercial Kings? No. It's really fun. It's, it's been a bit of, sort of internet meme on and off for a bit, but they're playing the whole episodes here now. There are these two guys who go out to local businesses in America that are usually quite weird, and they make them a really cheap video uh, ad. It's intended for local television, but I think it never goes up on the internet. But a couple of them actually became memes. Um, it's quite cute, though, because like last week they went to a cat place and, they, and a dog place, and they did some research. And the research it's always a bit half-assed, but at the end they make it out, you go, oh, yeah. I can see how that works. And this week, uh, they're doing a commercial for presidential-themed car wash. Nice. So I'm there. Nice. That's ABC2, 9pm, Tuesday. And given this Brilliant. is the uh, very special episode of Box Cutters that no film lover should miss. Uh, is this an ABC2 thing? Because we've both got things from ABC2. We it's ABC1. <sighs> Sunday night. Ruined it. 15th of January, 8.30. Bellabo. 
I've just said there are too many shows. <laughs> <laughs> too many shows these days. Did I tell you, I, I got asked on the... Um, I'm I, such an old man. I was, I was a guest on the um, Writer and the Critic podcast, and they said, you know, do, do you think box cutters will ever end? And I said, well, I imagine, God, I imagine when we naturally reach the end of the story we're telling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they also, uh, on another Ian Mon podcast, Shooting the Pooh, he said that you're, you're going to be on uh, the next... Uh, oh, I was going to plug that at the end, but yeah, I actually am whoring myself out to podcasts at the moment to promote Outland, which will start in about a month or so. We're not going to discuss that on this show. Uh, no, no, because why would we? Um, but yeah, but I am doing Shooting the Pooh next week, and if you want me to be on your podcast, send us a message at Boxcutters, and I'll do it, because I've got no shame. Hooray at Boxcutters.net is, Hooray. The, uh, is, is the email address, or uh, or you can go onto the website at Boxcutters.net, click Contact Us, and fill out the form that will get to us or you can send us snail mail to Tony Ifland, care of SBS. Uh, I, I don't know if you've heard the news but Box Cutters was invited to South by Southwest Interactive to do a live podcast in Austin, Texas. Are you sure it wasn't some, someone from Nigeria? Do, do we have to send over some sort of licensing fee before they'll, they'll send us the gold pass? No, no, we just, we just have to it's go. All good. We just, all we, good. We, yeah, we, we just have to be able to get to Austin, Texas, and we can do a live. Do that. And I don't, well, this is the thing. We're, we're looking for sponsorship, uh, and we've got a very limited amount of time because South by Southwest need to know, because uh, otherwise they're going to give away our slot. Uh, for for the podcast, so we're talking well, two months from today. Is it? Uh, yeah, the uh, the ninth of of March uh, is if when you're listening while we're recording this. We need to uh, we need to actually be in Austin by the ninth of March. If anyone has three or four spare tickets to Austin, Texas, or knows of a way that we can get there, uh, I am putting together a possible uh, page. What's that, Josh? Uh, that is well. It's, uh, if you've heard of Kickstarter, the uh, the US version, it, it's a chance for people to kind of a, uh, like, to it's pledge, crowdfunding. It is crowdfunding. People can pledge money, and only if we make our minimum target mm-hmm. will any money actually change hands. If we don't get enough people, uh, only if we're all successful, will we actually have to pay out? Yes. Excellent. And then, uh, and, that, and that way, everybody wins, yeah. and and people who uh, who pledge uh, get rewards if if the pledges go through. Uh, they they get some rewards. Uh, so we're working on some things with uh, Crumpler, but none of that has been uh, has been finalised yet. No, so it's locked in, Eddie. So the the possible page is is going up by the time this episode happens, uh, but we're we're working on uh, on actual reward exciting. scheme. It is very exciting. It is it is the largest interactive festival in the world. Mm-hmm. That's conference. Bigger it's than a festival. E three is not an interactive, not interactive festival. No, E three sucks. Yeah, sucks to be E three. South by Southwest Interactive. Uh, and that's the uh, middle of March. 
which means John Richards might not be able to come. Because Michelle's show might be on. Yeah. Because he's got, such bastard. Because he has to watch something on the telly. <laughs> John I did, can't. I, I did write it. It's probably quite important to be around when it's happening. Brett's going to tape it. He can just go around <laughs> to his, his house and watch it. I was hoping to torrent it from the US. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As we said uh, earlier on, next week we are going to be reviewing American Horror Story, which has been airing on 11. That brings us to the end of Box Cutters episode 289. I want to say thanks very much to Lee Zachariah for coming in and talking to us about filmmakers who went to television. Until next week, my name is Josh Canal. I'm John Richards. I continue to be Brett Crockley. Thanks for listening. Box Cutters catches again next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. And hey, let's be careful out there. Cutters is produced by Josh Canal with Brett Cropley and John Richards and help from Courtney Hocking and Dave Lawson. John Richards edited this episode. Peter Wilson from Soup Giant is the man behind making sure you can actually download stuff. He's good that way. We'd like to thank 3RRR, the greatest radio station in the world, for letting us use their studios to record this podcast. Find them on the web at rrr.org.au or 102.7 FM if you listen to radio the old-fashioned way. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can show your appreciation by leaving a positive review on iTunes or maybe just telling some friends what they're missing out on. You can also donate actual cash money to us by using the donate button at the top of our website. Donating helps keep the show alive and makes us smile. Our website is boxcutters.net and you can find all sorts of ways to contact us there. Don't cry, John. John, don't cry about it. Okay? Don't just, just, you know, I know that you wanted to review American Horror Story next week and we've given it to Courtney. I know you loved it and now you're just pretending that you didn't like it at all. Like a petulant teenager. Like a a petulant teenager or a Chicago mayor. Hi, this is Pete Smith. You've been listening to or have just missed Box Gutters.